your samples tomorrow. Kirk Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking. been starting with the cold opens the last couple Ooh. couple weeks but being that we have our first official recurring guest on the show yeah. I'd like to welcome back Mr. Joey Ellis I'm honored that's uh that's quite the title the first recurring guest I'll take it yeah dude good good to have you back and uh Michigan football insider in the state of Michigan football is in a interesting place um namely you know, Michigan State and Michigan, both in two very different places. But Joey, I wanted to ask you first, which program do you think is in a tougher spot right now? Um, I'm going to go with a program that currently doesn't have a coach, uh, Michigan State. But have has it? It's have we ever had an instance? I know, Beachley, you've been around both of these teams your entire life as well. Like where Michigan State largely dominated, you know, two months of the football season, and then. Everything that's been going on in East Lansing has been largely dominated now by what's going on in Ann Arbor. I mean, it's kind of a crazy time, but um, definitely the craziest time maybe to be a Michigan and Michigan State fan. I mean, as far as state goes, you know, it hasn't been what they want in their early decade kind of of success. But I mean, Michigan, I mean. Joey, you said one that doesn't have a coach right now. Honestly, they they both are without a coach right now. So they could be said for the same thing in Ann Arbor. I just, you know, hope we can push through the season. It'll be interesting, too, because, I mean, yeah, Michigan doesn't have a coach now. And then there's already, you know, people looking down the road of after this season is, you know, Jim Harbaugh going to leave? And is he just about done with the NCAA? And is Sharon Moore maybe the next guy um, that a lot of people are thinking will maybe succeed him, which I think would be a pretty darn good fit with what he's been doing already i agree um but yeah interesting times for both both uh rudderless ships right now i think michigan state's in far more of a free fall with what's going on you know at an administration level and the fact (laughs) they still don't have a university president and they haven't had one since i was a student way back in the day bombshell that's that's crazy i mean like the football for msu is so we're so pat like I just want to know who they're going to hire as a coach. I like the, the games by games. It's they are what they are. I mean, they're, they're uninteresting and they're pretty boring. I mean, because we know that whole staff's going to be gone next season, barring maybe a position coach or two. So I'm at the point where who are they going to hire? I mean, it's, it's the biggest hire that Michigan States maybe had to ever make in their athletic department history. So it'll be interesting. Do you have any names I, that you think like, the the urban stuff is crazy yeah. because there is legs to it, which is even crazier. But it's just a matter of, like I just I can't see it happen. My gut feeling says that's not going to happen. I don't I don't know why Urban Meyer would take the Michigan State job. I think if he's going to get back into coaching, which I do think he will, I don't think it's going to be MSU. Although MSU does have uh, the resources and whatnot to kind of sell to a coach, and if it's say. Hey, Urban, we'll give you this, and you have full autonomy over a program because that's something that he wants. Right. Then maybe that's something that could pique his interest. But I think maybe more realistic options, Mike Elko, which maybe gets a little bit dicier with now AM coming open. And, you know, he he I think would be a really good fit there. Brian Hartline, potentially. I really like Lance Leipold. If he was 10 years younger, I think he would have already been hired because I think he's that good of a coach and he he wins everywhere he goes. I think there'll be a couple out of the box hires. Um, I really like Jonathan Smith at Oregon State if they could lure him away. I mean, obviously that's his alma mater, 
But, you know, with Oregon State at the moment kind of being, you know, boxed out of a conference right now and trying to keep the pack, whatever they are, two, four, eight, 12 alive, I think that'd be something they'd look at. But whoever it is, they have to hire, they have to get the right guy. Yeah. I think the thing about Urban, um, and I do see a good, good bit of Urban Meyer MSU content on Twitter for whatever reason. It's insane. Um, it's like the photoshops. It, it's pretty funny, but <laughs> I think in the you talk, you know, administratively and from more of a entire school uh, lens, Urban isn't ex- you know the squeakiest squeaky no. clean guy. So. I think when you're considering the other factors in play, you might want to go with a guy that has less baggage um, because you want to start building kind of a cleaner image from top down. So while it might be the best way forward for the football program in the short term, it, it, you know, you might just get more videos of him in East Lansing getting danced on by a, by a sophomore. So those are not yeah. things that need to be following the program right now, speaking from an outsider, but yeah, it would be nice. He, no one can turn around a program like that guy. So I mean, the guy can how, win. How dangerous would it be to bring urban Meyer back to a college bar setting? I mean, it'd be, uh, it'd, it'd be something every Saturday night. I'm sure we'd be dealing with something. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Something yeah, the guy, the guys had baggage for sure. I, I'm just wondering if Michigan State at some point just says, you know what, our image is what it is at this point. You know, we've we've botched so many significant handlings on our university. Is at the end of the day winning going to just, you know, erase people's memory of that? Because I mean, it's so cutthroat in college football where there's so much money at stake. Does that, you know, drive a decision? And MSU's really having their strings pulled by two or three major major donors who are butting heads and you know wanting to show how much cash they have and how much they can throw around so um like you said the administration level is another thing it's like nobody's all on the same page so that'll be interesting where alan haller goes but yeah i mean urban probably wouldn't be the best look optically probably be the the best hire you know on field success but i don't know i mean i think msu just needs a stable coach who could give them you know eight to nine wins a year. And then the occasional 10, 11 contend for the conference every couple of years. Yeah. I'm always interested, like um, with, especially realignment happening next year. Like, do you think the MSU job carries the same weight really going into that? Uh, I mean, I'd say as far as the big 10 goes, they're definitely on. um, I mean, we say a lot on this podcast, especially with me, Michigan, Ohio state kind of always fight for the gold medal, Penn State these recent years seems to always come in for the bronze. Yeah. Normally Michigan State's a lot better and, you know, they're kind of competing up there. They're kind of that fourth team to that that can absolutely cause some noise. Are they affected then by bringing in an Oregon, a Washington, a USC, UCLA? Do you, do you view those as better jobs than Michigan State as far as the Big Ten is concerned? I mean, maybe – in some instances, I think, I mean, I think Oregon's a really good job and Oregon's obviously, as you guys know, has been a perennial program and is seemingly only kind of getting better with landing there now. But I mean, I, I think Michigan state will always still kind of compete with those guys. I mean, Washington in the scheme of things, they're great, but they have a really good head coach who's leading them. But before then, I mean, obviously Washington made a playoff as well with Chris Peterson, but still at the end of the day, Michigan state made a playoff and you know, they're a top 25 revenue program. 
Um, they've got a brand new football facility on the way, the Tom Izzo building, which is hilariously ironic that a basketball coach is the name of a football building. Uh, it's so MSU, but I mean, it, it's top 25 in revenue. They've got the resources, as you said, Beach, they've got the, you know, recent um, accolades. Granted, they haven't done much in the past couple of years. And it's still a Big Ten university. And you're still going to have those newcomers with the USC's and Oregon's who are kind of still have to, you know, find their footing in a new league. Um, it's I still think it's an enticing job because at the end of the day, there's there's a some amount and a dollar amount that's probably going to lure a coach in. And um, just a matter of who it is, I don't know, because there's as we're seeing more and more openings come up. So, yeah, they got the I mean, money. Yeah. Just got to get the guy right. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be interesting to see where Michigan State falls in like the packing order yeah. this offseason with how many SEC jobs are opening. I mean, you got Mississippi State already, Texas A&M. I think Arkansas is going to fire Pittman. And then what if uh, Florida gets rid of like Napier? I mean, they're sitting at five and five with Missouri and Florida State left. So if they go five and seven, that's pretty unacceptable at Florida. You know what I mean? So you got four yeah. big SEC jobs open is Michigan state going to be on the outside looking in where it's like, shit, all four of our guys that we wanted are at this school, that school type of thing. So I think if obviously I have no say I'm not in the administration, but they got to act quick, you know, with these, yeah. these jobs are going to keep opening, especially when teams start losing bowl eligibility. But. And I don't, I mean, I don't think they're going to, the the mood around here is that it doesn't seem like they're going to move quick. Like I don't expect that, you know, that final game a day after Thanksgiving and, you know, two, three days later, Michigan state to uh, announce a head coach. I, it, that's kind of the sense around here is I don't think really anybody around the program or, you know, in the know here kind of knows what the thinking is. I mean, they've narrowed down some candidates as to who that exactly is. Not everybody's entirely dead set on that, but yeah, I mean, with more and more jobs opening and some of those programs opening, you definitely have to try to act quick and, and make the right offer otherwise you know the a&ms of the world which will still always be appealing based on what they are will kind of swoop up some candidates so it'll be interesting and mart you mentioned you know napier you know a precedent was just set in college station um i work closely with a big florida fan and i think this goes for a lot of jobs when a team's not performing and you start you know there's rumors, there's new guys coming available, guys leaving on the coaching market. Oh, well, you know, he's still got so much left on his contract. The buyout would be this much, you know. And I think a precedent was just set that, you know, th there is no number that yeah. programs and I, a and M, I I think part of that is proving to their fan base and their institution that it's not working. Okay, you know, however sad it might be to those that put that money forward, that it's wasted and we're going to be paying this guy for years to, you know, not coach our football team, but now other programs, it's going to be an expectation at times to cough it up and just get this guy out of town, no matter what that buyout is. So um, that, that was a guy that large buyout, we're going to see this out for a couple of years, but who knows now? I mean, the landscape is changing in terms of programs with vast money behind them and perhaps the willingness to get a guy out premature to his contract date. Like, and Beach, I know you wanted to talk about the AM job a little bit. Yeah. And the question I've been wondering most 
since the departure of Jimbo is, okay, so you're paying and really just a sad number um, as a human being that will never see any number of money even in the same universe as that, um, barring the, you know, explosion of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, wh- where do you go from there? Do you get, do you bring in the Urban Meyer type guy or do you say we're paying this much to reset this program? And I just wonder, there's two very different directions that come from that. And there's very big expectation when you're paying guys 76 million to not coach for you, that brings so much pressure onto the guy that will be coaching for you now. You know what I mean? Because not only are you expected to coach for the money you're being paid, you're going to have to make do for the money that they're paying someone else to get his ass out of town. Yeah. Uh, I actually saw something interesting about that, which kind of I wanted to talk about it. It was this guy talking about how, multiple guys might be in play for that job that you wouldn't expect because it's that kind of job. Um, I have, you know, I've never really thought of Texas A&M in that capacity. Um, I really thought their big move was getting Jimbo to to leave Florida state. But I mean, Kevin Sumlin, he was like there before that. Like, was he all that? Was he the big money hire? I don't really see a guy leaving like a Dan Lanning comes to mind. He has a great setup there in Oregon. I'm using like him as an example. I do not think he'll be leaving, but is Texas a that kind of job where you feel like, Oh my God, it's, it's open. Like right. I, I am good right now. Like I got to go. I got to go. I got to take this job kind of similar to how Lincoln Riley jumped on the USC job. Um, to me, I do not look at Texas a in that capacity. Um, having that stature of being like one of those monumental programs that you just, it's a I must. I think that's what that number means is they're trying to make it that job. You know what I mean? But I, I agree with you. I don't think it is. But I guess too, I mean, I guess that's the biggest thing is the enticing part of it is that, you know, they've got the big oil money down there and they're willing to throw all that money at a coach. But maybe if you're A&M, you, you might be most prudent to say, hey, we're still paying this guy almost 80 million to not coach here. Like we should probably tone it back a little bit. And like, I think their top two guys, Mike Elko, because he had already coached there. He's a guy who's not a position coach coming there. He's now figured out what it is to be a coach at a power five team. And he's doing a good job at Duke and obviously knows what AM is about. And then I, I really like Jeff trailer at UTSA. I mean, that guy is as known around Texas high school football as anybody who has coached in that state at a college level. So from the high school recruiting aspect, which I think still sometimes gets lost in the NIL transfer portal days, like that is still huge is developing, you know, the high school pipeline and not just having to dip into the portal and, and, you know, get guys away from other programs. So I like those two a lot. Then you just have to ask, like, should we really be paying a Jeff trailer eight, nine million a year? Maybe not, but because based on what they're paying Jimbo, maybe you got to internalize and look at yourself and say, we should probably save a little bit money based on what we just spent and be a little bit more economically, economically efficient there. Uh, Those two guys, I think come to mind and I don't know why they wouldn't look at both of them immediately. I'm sure they already are. What about Tom Herman? Yeah, he's trendy. I mean, Michigan state, that's a name that keeps getting thrown around too. I mean, it was obviously when Ohio state was zooming under Meyer. I mean, he was the one calling all the plays. I mean, yeah, He he was the one who was making that offense go. And then, I mean, 
he did a decent job at Texas. I don't think he did exactly what people thought he would do, but I also, I mean, and nowadays he wasn't given enough time in my opinion to really try to stick things out, but they did show flashes. And then where is he now? Florida Atlantic or Florida? Yeah. Yeah. Florida Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a good coach. I I think you have to at least check in with him, see what he's doing because he's still a very good offensive mind too. And nowadays it's all offense in college football. Yeah. Just to your point of, you know, coming in maybe a little under budget for, you know, some of these guys, he might be a guy you might be able to get, uh, spend a little less money on wanting to make the jump kind of back up to the show. No disrespect to the Owls, but I mean, yeah. I do think the Aggie job's a little bit better. You don't need to make the splash hires, I think. Any, I mean, everybody wants to just make these splash hires just to to do it. Like, just make the right hire. Get, yeah. in, get a good coach. And I mean, Herman's a good coach. I'm sure they'll look at him for sure. Yeah, that's a good point about the whole splash hire thing. Like, I feel like A&M, they were never, they won under Sumlin, but like, they haven't won a national championship since like 1930. So I don't understand where they like come off thinking like there's some big hot shot in college football. Cause they, they don't have a, a history of winning. They never like, I mean, they're not playing in these new year sixes every year. They've, they have never won an sec last divisional title, let alone yeah. a conference championship. And so with their boosters, they must think we're like, yeah, we're a and M. like, we can just buy a coach, which buys us, a national title and that's not how it works we're like that's literally exactly what they thought too yeah that's all like the blank I mean, that's, the blank uh, national championship date they just uh, saw jimbo award. win and we're like i want that right let me, right let me buy it and like and with um the whole thing about the splash tire like who's the big name yeah jimbo he had come off he'd won the national championship and kind of plateaued at florida state but he caught lightning in a bottle with a freaking heisman trophy winner quarterback that like led his team and they were played in a fucking very close game and ended up winning. And he won that, but never was able to establish anything much after that at Florida state. And then goes to A&M for fucking ungodly amounts of money and couldn't do shit. So like (laughs) they, if they find a guy who's actually can build it up. And that's why I think Elko is the higher because that was when they were actually decent at A&M. Those Jimbo teams is when he was the DC because they they pulled him from Notre Dame and we had, he, uh, coached the defense that brought uh, us to a playoff too. So, um, yeah, I think he's he's the right guy. He understands it, like you said. Um, and it's not necessarily all about fucking. You got to get ninety five five star recruits because that's what Jimbo did. They had brought in like ten five stars in that one okay. class, and then it's like, dude, why do these kids all suck ass? But then when they go to other schools, yeah. they're like, they're good. It, it's it yeah. it does make you think. So you know what is the weight behind? the biggest most flashy head coaching jobs it's the history of winning and it's all very um you know aggressive and very um you know they're guys that want to win and guys that want to prove to themselves that they can do it somewhere that's why the notre dames the michigans the ohio states the alabamas there are names and lights of former head coaches next to national championships at those at those places. That's not the case at Texas A and M. Like, what are what are they without Johnny Manziel? That he single handedly acts as their history now. You know he he was before they talk about the the desert that was between their last national championship 
and then what Johnny Manziel did for them in 2012-2013, right? And after Johnny, they haven't achieved the success of what they were projected at any given time. And I think you're right. It, it is a lesson that they just learned that no amount of money can win you the SEC. Like, it, that just is what it is. They just threw $100 million at a guy that won one national championship with the best player in the country at quarterback. Other than that, there's not much merit behind, you know, his long-term career and giving him that amount of money. So if if you're talking about a school that is they're trying to make it a flashy job with the money, but that's just I just don't believe that's how it works. Like nowhere else is like that. They're but honestly also, just like live. They just throw, yeah. throw money. Kind of. They, that is honestly a pretty good comparison. I mean, they they don't have the, you know, the Bear Bryants or the um, Lou Holtzes or the, you know, even like the Bobby Bowdens. These guys that ha- are have fields named after them, have athletic wings named after them. They That's just not the program they are. They're kind of a younger program at this point like trying to build themselves up in the sec this is what 10 seasons 11 seasons now in the sec and they're throwing 100 million dollars at a coach to win it and he's actually getting the players in there that that's that's the thing that's so damning on jimbo is he's getting the players that only georgia and alabama are getting and he's still not winning against teams that are recruiting three tiers below him at times and that's a problem. I, I don't know how you fix that, but clearly the answer is not more cash. Yeah, that's yeah. the issue in college college athletics. Too much money involved, dumb decisions. Seems to be only getting worse, too, honestly. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, it is. I mean, but yeah. I mean, kind of feel like that just, you know, encapsulates what I was, you know, posing there. I do not think Texas A&M is that great of a football job. I think they have the money, and that's what makes them flashy. Um, let's hope. I mean, it seems to be the common theme then. Michigan Mi- Michigan State and uh, Texas A&M probably shouldn't throw the money at the coach then. Let's no, just it's, uh, rebuild a little bit. It's like the kid playing travel baseball that has the new Easton, the Evo Shield, the new A2K, and whether his dad's batting him first at, in the lineup or playing shortstop and he's got all the gear, it's – no amount of gear is going to make you a better baseball player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though they, he's getting the personal lessons and dad just cut him off. They're not doing, they're not working out for this kid and you could smell <laughs> it on him. The second he takes the field, like I think that's kind of what A&M is. And then, uh, you know, Jimbo is another guy, you know, we talked about urban very on record, not a great dude. You know, <laughs> and oh, yeah. clearly he doesn't run a tight, tight ship with his players. He's getting guys similar to, you know, what happened at Georgia the last couple of seasons, just th- not staying on the field because they're doing off the field stuff. So I think it in that way, it might be similar to Michigan State where you want a guy to just clean it up first. No doubt. Clean it up yeah. and then win. Yeah. What other job is what's going to play third fiddle, do you think? It's going to be Michigan State and A&M as of now. And who do we, who's going to be the biggest opening outside of those two this coming year? 
God, maybe Michigan. I mean, if that happens. I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, that, I'd that actually say that would be number one. Yeah, yeah. that's going to come out. Uh, I definitely think, I mean, that's worth a conversation. I mean, I think the people in Ann Arbor don't want to think that way. But it's the thing uh, that's, you know, it's become the yearly offseason thing. Is, is and, Arbaugh going to leave? And that's why I don't buy into it. I mean, I've been yeah. hearing that, you know, while they were losing – and it was, was he the guy who can only pump out 10 win seasons? We can never win the big 10. We can never make the playoff. He defied that. But while he was, you know, doing those 10 win seasons, it's like he could just bail and take an NFL job and be back in the NFC championship in the next five years or AFC, you know, whatever he takes. But I'd, I'd be shocked if he moved on just because I don't think he's the kind of guy who just lets the NCAA kind of like dictate his move. I think he kind of oh, wants yeah. to live on his terms now, do I think those could coincide this year? Yeah. Maybe fulfills his destiny a little bit with a national championship and bounces. Could yeah. definitely see that. That is the only outcome where I think Harbaugh is not coaching the Wolverines next year. Yeah, that's good. I mean, when's the last time a coach has been suspended on two different occasions in one season? Bookending. Yeah. You know, I mean, He's only going to coach half the year, which is – I don't think sound. ever. Like, I don't, I don't think that's ever happened. And – I mean, that's the thing in modern college athletics, hoops and football is like these longtime coaches, they are not leaving because they just don't feel they can do it. It's the way it's going in, in, in Harbaugh's case. I mean, he and the NCAA clearly are not sending each other Christmas cards. And I mean, somebody there is <laughs> seemingly having it out for him and whatever you make of the whole sign stealing thing, there is somebody there who seemingly has it out for Harbaugh and is trying to make an example out of him. And I mean, it's, it's obvious. Um, it doesn't, maybe it's, maybe it's Joey. It could <laughs> maybe he's the, maybe he's the insider. Sending anonymous some breadcrumbs to the NCAA. <laughs> we'll see. But I mean, like it, maybe it's just the last straw for him. Like you said, beach, like, you know, they have a chance to play for an Addy and he says F you on my way out and, and that's it. And has just had enough of it. Um, but I mean, he's always the most fascinating character in football because he's so yeah. unpredictable and there's literally no read on the guy at all. And I mean, it is more is getting way out stock too. And so we'll see, you know, what happens there. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's an effective way out. You know, if you're getting heat at the college level, you just go pro. And, yeah. you know, that's um, the yeah. thing that's always been funny about uh, players in in basketball and football it's like well they're never going to face any consequences because they're just going to the league right you know it's like oh derrick rose didn't take his act that someone needs to do something about this he's like he doesn't care he's going to be the first pick in the draft yeah Yeah. Yeah. so like brandon miller accessory to murder two overall yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean it's just like well i don't have to deal with the consequences here um, and I think that almost works on a coach. Like, what is the NCA gonna do to gonna do to me if I take the coat if I take the job in Chicago? So what Pete Carroll year. did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He did it. Him and Reggie Bush are like, yeah. I mean, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Go, go yeah. to Southern Cal and see. We won't be there when you guys right. come to do your your sweep. We won't be there. So mm-hmm. uh, I did want to. We could stay in the uh, Big Ten. And Mart, I wanted to throw this one to you because we talked. Um, specifically about this just you know Penn State has been a topic of conversation the last couple weeks a lot about James Franklin and there were some mind-boggling calls in that game on Saturday 
one of which being a two point conversion, which for the, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't get paid to coach football, but I do know from watching just copious amounts of football that going for two early in the game, I've never seen it work out. I've never seen it work out. And oftentimes it actually compounds itself with a later two point conversion that then you have to go for. But in this case, it wasn't the time to do your second two to go for your second two point conversion because you're ending the game before the onside kick, which I was trying to figure out what he was doing. It's a nine point game. You have to kick an onside. It's a one possession game if you kick the extra point and then you do your onside and then you have, you know, just a million things that you can try or do to salvage a miracle come come back win against a rival. With him being in our crosshairs, James Franklin, that is, for the last couple of weeks, what is what is Penn State thinking right now in terms of is he the guy? You know, Notre Dame went through this exact situation with Brian Kelly. I mean, we've we've drawn the parallels time and time again between the two. I I can't think of someone and the other part of that, I never met a Notre Dame fan that was a fan of Brian Kelly. That that's just on. So thinking about it from that way, I don't know that many Penn State fans are too high on James Franklin at the moment. So is that is that a job that might be opening soon? Is that and and what kind of I just I just think he's getting no he's getting no fire, you know, nationally. And guys normally when they when the, the these things are going on in their program from an on the field place, which obviously is a better place than when off the field things are popping off, but like what are we doing with James Franklin now for Penn State? Dude, I will say just watching that game, I think Franklin's got the the monkey with like symbols hitting in his brain like that's that's just how his brain operates when he coaches a, a big football game like dude i i or i also saw now that shrone more has more top 10 wins than james franklin yeah. does he's coached like three games or something yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah no they're penn state's just stuck because they're in a very similar situation to how notre dame was and us as fans like we saw about every brian kelly experience that, that you can see but the university was just never going to fire him though. You know what I mean? And so if he does end up going to a different program, it's like Penn state's going to be, you're kind of like timid. Like when Kelly left, you're like, shit, like, what does this mean for us? But like, it's just a blessing in disguise because you just get something different. You get hope. Like we've talked about before, whereas uh, Penn state fans know exactly what they're going to get from uh, James Franklin every single year. And it's just, that he coaches scared in big games. And it's even if they go 10 and two next year and make the playoff, the 12 team, he's still going to coach scared in that playoff game. And it's the same thing every year. It's been like that for what, almost a decade now. So he's had plenty of opportunities and has failed in every single opportunity to get to that next level. But yeah. just as a university, like does Penn state have that type of pull where they're just firing that guy and i'm sure he probably makes 10 million dollars you know what i mean like i just don't see him moving on i think they're just kind of stuck they're in a tough spot because yeah i mean the guy wins them 10 10 games a year but he's not consistently winning the ones they're paying him to win like mm-hmm. nobody cares if you can beat iowa by 30 i could beat iowa by 30 i mean literally like you're not supposed to be 
getting paid to beat those teams. And he's exactly. had so much talent. I mean, they, you know, obviously that 2016 team when they beat Ohio State at home, the blocked field goal game that spurs into the Rose Bowl and, you know, they hit lightning in a bottle. But, I mean, since then, you know, they haven't. They've been on the wrong end of the Ohio State games. Games they've been in positions to win. And ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, it came down to their head coach making – decisions here and there that cost them the game and they've had so much talent i mean it, like it's offensive to football seeing how many guys they have on that offensive side of the ball and seeing the offense that is out on the field and what so he, he fires mike yersich it's his fifth oc gone in 10 years i mean at, at, at the end of the day there's a common denominator why that is continuing to happen and it's him i mean he's a good coach but i don't think much more than that and it's it's up to Penn State. It's what do we want to be as a program? Do we think we can be 10 wins every year and occasionally beat Ohio State and Michigan? And now with the Big Ten expanding, it's going to get even more difficult. Or, you know, do we take that one next step? And I know you guys compared Brian Kelly, which it's almost offensive to Kelly because Kelly was getting them in the playoff. They were yeah. he had them on the cusp of national titles. I mean, Franklin hasn't even sniffed the playoff. Um, so it, it really what does Penn State want to be as a program? It's it's such an interesting landscape where it's where 10 wins you know, almost yearly is now considered, you know, not good enough. But you're keeping up with the Joneses and the Michigans and yeah. Ohio State of the world aren't going anywhere. And I mean, they haven't had the wins and loss results that I'm sure you want from an administration to kind of yeah. see who he is. So I, I think next year is going to be very big if things start out a little bit shaky. Public pressure is ultimately going to get to an athletic administration. That's how it always goes. And they're going to be loud. And and I think we could maybe see something from him next year if it doesn't go the way that they want to. You know, you'll have Aller with a second year as a starting quarterback now. And they'll bring back a lot of their guys offensively and defensively. But, I mean, how he finishes this season is also big as well to see if there's any improvement. I think he'll get next year for sure. He will, yeah. I also think that I'm all for giving a coach time, but he's been there, you know, a long time. And I remember, you know, when, when Michigan in Harbaugh was famous facing kind of the same like public pressure, so to say, it's like, he's getting these 10 win seasons, but that isn't the metric we're striving for. And I would always say, you know, give him some time because the guy he's being compared to the team he's being compared to in Ohio state, they were playing football at a level that only teams named at the time Clemson and Alabama were playing at. That was the only level. George has entered that conversation now. And again, Kirby Smart got a little time. I think the leash might be too big on James Franklin. I think next year will be very telling. Uh, Joey, for all the reasons you said, I mean, having a quarterback under his second year is huge um, and could ultimately make the difference maker. I think it's going to be interesting to see where – Penn State falls in the pecking order, so to say, of the Big Ten. I've always called them the silver, the, the bronze medalist. Are they even going to be that next year uh, with all the promise they have coming back and probably another top defense? Are they going to be able to beat the Michigans and Ohio State and, frankly, the Oregons and the USC's now next year? So I think next year is going to be very telling. And at the end of the day, you got to look at that. And if they don't have the season they want to, where they either feel like they're on the cusp of one and two or still even maintaining third position. Yeah. I think you got to switch it up. It's a new conference. Totally. Get a new look out there. Yeah. He, I mean, and this is, you know, the Kelly comps, but 
Kelly and and Franklin came in to really bad situations for obviously very different reasons. <laughs> um, Charlie Weiss was one of the lowest points for Notre Dame, and obviously the Jerry Sandusky happenings of Penn State. So, you know, obviously, I think Franklin is still riding the momentum of digging a program out of perhaps the worst scandal in NCAA history. And there's, he will always deserve the credit for that. I mean, their turnaround, I, I was, a I was in middle school when that yeah. happened and when he took the job and frankly, I was shocked at the time, how quickly Penn state rose back to prominence following the most damning thing that has ever happened at a division one school. And that, you know, that's something you can't take away from him. That's something he should always get credit for. But at the same time, you know, we're talking a decade ago almost. And like you said, Joey, you know, you could bring in, you could bring in, you know, the redheaded stepchild and still beat Minnesota and Iowa and Nebraska and Illinois. And, you know, 80% 80% of the Big Ten every year. So the difference between uh, eight wins and 10 wins is far smaller than the difference between 10 and 11. You know, mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. that win is worth almost like another five games in that other. It's a very fine line. And that was a line Kelly was able to cross a couple times. But you know obviously the the main thing being the the record against top 10 the record against top 5 and the inability to cross into that threshold of college football's you know top tier and yeah you know there's 3 to 5 teams that are in that category but as a massive fan base as a massive institution with massive amounts of money it's it's really hard to to tell yourself that you're fine being there. You know, you don't want to tell the, if you're Penn state admin, you don't want to tell happy Valley. No, you know, guys, 10 wins. That's not in the sky. Like that's a great year. You know, they don't, they don't want that Michigan state when they're thought they don't want that Michigan, Notre Dame, all our teams here. Those are, you know, those are not things that you want. There are times in each of our histories that those might be things that you'd hope for. But, you know, it, you know, I guess Kelly ended up leaving and went out on, on bad terms. But I think it, it woke all the Irish up to, yeah, you know, it we're beating Purdue and Navy. And he, he was good against USC. But can we can we start something new that might yield a game against Ohio State where we're not getting boat raced? You know, like we'd rather lose by three and look like we could play on the same field than win 11 games and then get smoked in that game in week 12 or week 13. So it's it's just they're very fine lines. And Penn State, like Notre Dame, like Michigan, like Michigan State, it's a line you want to be on the right side of. And it's not it's not exactly a line you feel comfortable telling your fan base that you're OK being on the short side of it. I agree. Yep. Yeah. That whole, that, that whole point about the 10 wins and everything was, 
a follow-up point I was going to make. And it's like, you shouldn't get credit for demolishing teams that don't have as much talent as you. Those are the games you should win every single time. And that's what these teams do. And like Jimbo only getting whatever, what is it, three and a half years, he couldn't even get beat the teams that he was supposed to beat. Like that's, and that's the difference why Franklin's been there for, he beats the teams he's supposed to beat and then loses the games where the talent level's even. He, on any even playing field, James Franklin's team is at a disadvantage because he's like just that much worse of a coach than the guy across from him. But when they're on a <laughs> an uneven playing field, they beat the absolute piss out of everybody. So it's like, yeah, eventually you just <laughs> you're tired of seeing that. When you watch enough, especially college football, you begin to see in games where a guy is in fact getting out coached. You know, that's that's not something that you just you can see right away, but like watching on Saturday, it was, you know, James Franklin's getting out coached by a guy that wasn't even Michigan's head coach. Right. And that for a lot of guys like an Urban Meyer, right? You're confident that even if we might be at a talent disadvantage, which is very rare. We got the guy on the headset in our sideline is going to figure it out and get something done that they, their guy in the headset isn't. And he got, yeah, he got out coached by a guy that's coached what three games as at the helm, two or three games. Yeah. That is not a good, that is not a good look. It happened with Kelly a lot where, you know, he's walking into Clemson and we, there were times that in 2015, we might've had, as good or better talent than Clemson did. That team was loaded, but he's getting out coached and the play, the play calling, the um, just having some undisciplined, undisciplined uh, stretches during the game. Like those things are visible and they all come back on the head coach. And those were ways in which we lost games where we were more talented. James Franklin has not won a game of in a similar talent level because he hasn't put together a game plan good enough to win it. And I, you know, I, yeah, Drew Aller is a five-star and he honestly, Trace McSorley was a better college quarterback than like, I think Penn state would be better this year with senior Trace McSorley. Like that. I never got the Aller hype, but I also see him in very, you know, in situations that are, quarterback adverse and and he's mm -hmm. not in a position to make a play and these route concepts and the down and distance in which they're calling plays for him to show his skill it just none of it makes much sense and it's a you know it's it's a fine line like we said but it's also something that it's a band-aid that has to be pulled off at some point or you find yourself you know in another five years with nothing in the trophy case and you know the same bald headed dude on the sideline calling the same place. Well, I mean, look at it. They're coming in at 12 right now in the playoff rankings, probably going to make a new year's six bowl, probably going to play a two lane in the peach bowl, probably going to win that game. Okay. What'd you, what'd you do? You know, you win, you beat two lane. I mean, that's not, I don't really think we, we chopped up uh, Lincoln Riley last year for beating two lane in that game. It's like, no, Utah has his number. Like, you were supposed to make the playoffs. So I think that just encapsulates it all, but Penn state probably going to make another new Year's six bowl. 
Yeah. Another 10 win season. Death and taxes. Yeah. I mean, I think at least one more year will be warranted once the playoff expands and people are able to see what they do in a 12 team format. And God, if they're somehow missing that, since they're always hovering around that top 12 anyways, then that's probably where you're like, all right, I, I don't know. We've seen enough at this point, but it'll be interesting to watch that because I think Penn state can do better, but then in the same token, like, again, it's just, what do they think? their program is 10 wins and an occasional big win, or can they consistently do that? So I don't know. It's interesting. So I am curious. What's James Franklin's contract? Does anyone know? I don't know it off the top of my head. It's like nine. I'm wondering where he comes. I'm sure they extended him recently too. Yeah. So he signed a 10 year in 2021. I mean, that is Uh just bad. There you go. Only six six point five a year. Uh, only six point five a year is a crazy statement, but um, <laughs> ten years in twenty twenty one. So they've had two full seasons since then. No way you're thinking in the next eight you're ready to take that that stride off of what you've been seeing. Yeah, I mean, so not to mention the contracts don't mean anything anymore. They can extend them all they yeah. want. That thing will they could be gone in two years. Yeah, exactly. And they could buy him out yeah. now, two years in, and pay $10 million less in the buyout than, than A&M just paid. <laughs> but I did I did think we could transition to the playoff ranking and the move that we saw, obviously, uh, along with James Franklin and the Big Ten coaches and the other things we've been getting into a lot on the show, the rankings and the playoff committee have been another theme. So we have a new number one. Does anyone think that that new number one is deserved? And or was it deserved last week, but just not given? I I don't even. I literally have tuned out so much on those playoff rankings because I just cannot get myself to remotely care until the games actually get played. And I'm like, why am I watching a? show that has no bearing other than getting eyeballs on it and whatnot. Yeah. So it, Cause it doesn't make sense. It's like, okay, Ohio state was ranked one a, a week ago and then they go out and hammer a team in MSU who probably I could have beaten. And so, so what, what about that warrants you getting dropped and then what Georgia goes out and beats who Kentucky. I mean, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't really make any sense. So why even have them ranked in that position where where they're both winning games, Ohio State winning by 35, and and they get dropped a spot. It doesn't really make it any bit of sense. But again, the good thing is these games will get settled on the field. So it's, I mean, Ohio State and Michigan are what two and three or two and four. I mean, they'll that'll get settled in two weeks. It's the same deal with you know Georgia and probably will be playing Alabama in three weeks. So I mean, I, I don't have an issue with the rankings because I just. Me personally, I don't take them all that seriously because they've proven week after week after year after year that they have no yeah. actual concrete set of guidelines that they're going by. It's always objective and it's always going to be objective. Um, so, I mean, I don't have any issues. And Georgia's looking like the number one team right now. They're kind yeah. of stride and they're getting healthier. And they probably could have been the number one team in the first and second and third set of rankings. But, I mean, either which way, it, they all take care of themselves. They've got the right crop of teams at the top. We'll just say that. 
it's like every week to that point, I watch it thinking I'm going to see something different. I'm going to see something new. And it's like, oh, wait, Bama won, Texas won, Oregon won, all down the line, everyone won. And, you know, you're not going to see anything changing. They all, Uh, who's, who's in your playoffs, Beach? I guess my playoff, I had before before the season, I hung my hat on Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama. So right now, I think Florida State is in that lock position. I feel confident in their ability to go 13-0. I think you're for sure going to get the Michigan-Ohio State champion. Yep. I think that where things get a little bit different is I think if Bama wins – I've been a proponent of Georgia sliding out and then putting in Texas with them. So then you'd have Texas, Alabama, Florida State, Michigan slash Ohio State. Yeah, I like that. I think where it gets interesting is if Georgia wins, because then I think Georgia maintains that number one cusp. As I mentioned, it gives someone it gives someone else a chance. I think that's where it's like, okay, now are we in between Texas with their win at Bama? Does that have more value? I think you get the value out of. Where's this matchup going to be playing the field? Oh, five versus six. I mean, it makes sense to see five versus six and probably have one of them slide in when two plays three as well. I don't see them keeping Michigan and Ohio State in the playoff this year. I don't think it's set up, you know, I don't think it's set up for that right now. Um, I do think Bama is going to beat Georgia. So I'm going to go with Bama, Georgia, Florida State, and then Michigan. What happens if? My, I mean, my preseason was the same, but I had said of Bama, I have Washington, and I still have Washington. I mean, if they, if they went out, I mean, as an undefeated, especially they're in. I, I don't think there's a question they're in. Well, I they, think because of the Pac-12 and being able to speak to it, yeah. I mean, it gets tough. But like, if Georgia loses and slot, like, do you slide them all the way out? Yeah, I, don't know, they, I mean. One? It's tough. That's the thing. It's like they're setting them up at, seen that. At, at one right now, but they haven't really played a great schedule. And I mean, the, I think the Pac-12 is the best league this year, top to bottom, most depth. Um, what gets interesting is if Oregon, who I think is playing the best football in the Pac-12, wins out, avenges the loss to Washington in the title game, I think Washington would be out. I, I just don't just I think conference brand Washington would get bounced even with one loss and not being the champ. Oregon would be in then then what do you do you know like you said if Georgia wins or if Georgia loses well that's the thing though it's like these don't really shape up until that final week and then then we start going yeah. crazy with hypotheticals I mean yeah you're gonna see matchups get played out that you've either seen already you're gonna see yeah. again you haven't seen you've been waiting all season or a matchup you saw earlier this season with respect to Texas Alabama so I mean, we always talk about that, like it's going to get interesting. I was a big proponent last week of Georgia and Michigan having one and two strength of schedule remaining. Uh, So, you know, I don't think it's set up, though, for Michigan and Ohio State to both get in. Uh, I do see a hard time where Georgia is going to maintain number one up until that game against Alabama. I don't think if you're going to be in a position to slide Georgia all the way out, Two five and have Washington move in. It just seems totally. like too big of a slide. Well, wasn't it? I mean, again, like going back to the inconsistencies, wasn't it that first year or second year when it was TCU who was third, I think, and then they won their final Week Twelve game and they got bounced from the top four. So it's stuff like they that. got jumped, yeah, yeah by like Ohio yeah. State. I think they jumped they got jumped for all they at- all they did for getting jumped was winning their game. So that's the stuff that makes no sense. Yeah. You're going to have them ranked and then you just boot them out for winning. Doesn't make sense. And, and the way, and it seems like 
right? The only logical explanation for some of the slots are positioning for um, the assumption of a loss or a tough yeah. game, you know, so you, you position a team higher who might drop one. So they stay yep. in and vice and vice versa. But I do, I do want to say I had a scenario preseason with my playoff two sec, two big 10, and it's going to be tough, but they're all still in play. And if, you, if I said a month ago, it was not really even fathomable before Alabama went back on and started playing Alabama football. But FSU, I do think is in, and a big reason, not Jordan Travis, but they have the benefit of being the only team in the ACC vying for that spot, which means, and it is very visible on the field, as someone that couldn't care less, that the ACC refs will be protecting their child into the college football playoff. And I think think this is is something that I see occasionally – and I think, you know, we almost were joking about it at the Northwestern Dayton game about Big Ten refs not not wanting, you know, not wanting their Big Ten school to lose to some mid-major from Ohio that comes into town. But on a on a more grander sense, seeing a Miami-Florida State game, rivalry game, Miami out of it, solid team, just get absolutely nothing go their way. And, well, why is that? Is it? home officiating whatever it is no i mean really the only explanation for some of the officiating in games is a conference making sure whether they're the better team or not they are but they just they want to make sure that they get their bid because once it starts getting you know closer to the end of the season that's the only thing that matters we want someone representing the ACC in the college football playoff or Pac-12 or SEC or, you know, it, it happens more. It doesn't happen as much in the SEC because normally it doesn't take the refs. There'll be one or two teams that are going to get in regardless. So you don't have to worry about missing out. But that game against Miami, it was very clear to me that if you get any value on Florida State to make the playoff at this moment, you take it because I don't think there's going to be anything keeping, you know, they, they got, they're playing 14 aside uh, the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I, I agree. And I, so like, do I blame Washington? them? Yeah. Yep. Washington. Who else? You're uh, yeah. Washington, Georgia, Michigan, and Florida state. Okay. I think, I mean, that's sitting in a really good position right now. If you believe, Washington beats Oregon. To me, that's yeah, I mean, the way Pac-12 gets in. 100. I'm not. I'm not entirely confident in Washington as much as I was heading into the year or the past two seasons. But I mean, I think Oregon's playing the best football in the Pac-12, and Washington, I very well think, could lose this weekend at Oregon State. Like that, I agree, that is not an easy game, and I could totally see them losing the way they've been playing. And Oregon's playing really good. I mean, they should have smoked usc i think they had like 130 penalty yards the game shouldn't have even been close um so yeah i mean it'll be interesting beach how can you say that if washington goes undefeated that's the only way the pac-12 gets in it's like are we just going to discount that the pac-12 has been a much better conference this year than like every other conference and then all of a sudden it comes down to it's like oh my god we can't leave georgia out we can't leave like georgia hasn't played anybody and if they lose to alabama dude they're out they're they should 
not Oregon, close to coming. Oregon has a really good shot if they win out, I think. Yeah, they're and they're ranked ahead of Texas too in this in the poll, like le- leading up to it. So if That's it comes point. down to if it's if Georgia beats Alabama, I think Oregon's going to be put in over Texas. But I think if Alabama beats Georgia, that Texas win for them looks a lot better, which could constitute maybe a jump there. I yeah. also yeah. think at the end of the day, I talk about this a lot. Really, like the fifth piece of the recipe, so to say, to get into the playoff is the conference championship. I think that holds a lot of merit there. That's kind of why these rankings really don't matter until the end. So that's why when I look at Florida State conference champion, Michigan, Ohio State conference champion with one of them respectively, I think Bama could be George Alabama. Would yeah, be then, one of them and, then Pac- gonna, or, and then Oregon, Oregon, Oregon would be a Oregon would be a Pac-12 champion. Though, I just think scenario. with Texas beating Bama, that's where that conversation gets a little hairy off of not what Texas necessarily did that week. Probably playing a team like Oklahoma or Kansas State. I don't really know where the Big Twelve standings are at. But where do you think Bama's going to do when they win that and they probably move? They beat number one and they were number eight, like and they're a conference champion. So I think that move up there could maybe have them jump Oregon, honestly. And then Texas is the team. Well, hey, we just beat the team that jumped you. So it does get a little interesting. I mean, there's eight teams right now that are fully vying for Mm -hmm. a four-team playoff, and it could shake out any number of ways. Joey, respectfully to your point, I think Oregon State is going to get the job done this weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. 16 out of their last 17 at home. They're mm-hmm. an animal at home. They're good, um, man. They got the quarterback play. I mean, we were talking about it earlier as far as, you know, coaching jobs being concerned. Oregon State's coach. He's I can't sick. remember what you said his name is, but, I mean, he's clearly doing a good Jonathan, job. Jonathan Smith. So, there you go. I think Oregon State will get the job done this weekend. And I would not be shocked. Yeah, I mean, it it depends on what the committee decides they they value this year. We said explicitly a couple weeks ago, like per, public service announcement, if it comes down to five one-loss conference champions, the number one team should be the one-loss Pac-12 champion because they will have played in the toughest league and won the most tough games. And I think exactly, that's yeah. kind of how – that's how you have to value the teams is what they what environment they had to play in the last three and a half months and that would go um you know the the number one would be pac 12 you Mm -hmm. know it gets a little dicey after that but i don't think many people that have really had their nose in college football this year would have anything other than that to say so whether they're all they're we couldn't have all undefeated so assuming one one loss across the board um it would be pac 12 starting from the top and i think even a one loss pac 12 champ whether it is oregon or washington i think they've probably shown more than florida state you know florida state did it week one and has been cruising i mean i i tweeted about it last night transitive property my northern illinois huskies are better than florida state since the yeah. LSU game, they had common opponent Boston College. Huskies won by three, Florida State won by two. So I mean, you can take that with a grain of salt, but it just goes to show that they have had s- severe struggles with some teams down the stretch. They really got absolutely just 
taken off and set down and patted off the back off the hook against Clemson with a Blair Walsh miss field goal. And I I get that there are those games that happen in everyone's path to a national championship, but with a month left in the season, you know, through the playoff, like I, I think Oregon and Washington, I think Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Penn or Michigan state, Ohio state are all better teams. Yeah, for sure. I I think they're, I think they're like the eighth best team in the country and I get it. If, if, you know, Notre Dame has been in positions like Florida state is this year with that kind of schedule with maybe that one marquee win. And yes, I know I wouldn't be saying drop Notre Dame from the playoff ranking because there's other teams with better resume. I'm just saying, if it comes down to that point, they have to be the one that's getting the short, you know, the short end of the stick to a team with a similar record. And they need they need to be the they need to be the team that's left out, assuming that scenario of the five one loss conference champions. Would it shock you to know that there is the same amount of ranked teams from the Big Twelve as the Pac twelve? Kind of. Because they they, they've all five. cannibalized each other. I just think I, it's, it just, I obviously think that the top heaviness of the Pac-12, I do think with respect to Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, is better than the top three you have to offer from the Big 12. I just think it's so interesting how we've looked at, you know, the Pac-12 being so great this year. But at the end of the day, you know, they do have, where a team you said, oh, the Big 10 doesn't have anyone this year. They do have the same amount of ranked teams. Quality of ranked teams are probably a little bit higher in the Pac-12. But at the end of the day, both teams have five ranked teams. Yeah, I mean, ranking is very subjective, too, where, like, I mean, we've been through that whole song and dance. But you look at Texas loses to Oklahoma, this Oklahoma team that's gone on and not done great, losing to Oklahoma State. Then you got Oklahoma State losing 45-3 to to UCF. And, like, how is Oklahoma State still ranked? Makes no sense. they, They count, according to that uh, argument Beachler, to as a ranked team. You yeah. Know, I, I just, again, I'm not believing in necessarily what I'm saying. I just said, would it shock you to know? Devil's advocate. It's pretty shocking. Yeah. yeah for sure. Devil's advocate. But, yeah. What uh, I do know is, yeah. What I do know is we're, will not be, we, we will not lack great games, great matchups. And Joey, like you said earlier, these games are going to be played on the field. So, you know, fodder at this point, we know a lot, if not everything, about these teams, but you got to go out there and and win them. James Franklin doesn't, but <laughs> but uh, the rest of these guys they can they can get them done. So yet again, this is how we end the episode. Just looking forward to the blessing that is college football Saturday. Joey, thanks for coming on again, man. Thanks for having me, boys. It's fun. I'm glad I could be the uh, first recurring member. It's Yes. Literally an honor. It's an honor. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, good, good stuff, Joey. Thanks for coming on. Always appreciate it, Joey. And uh roll Coogs this weekend, Beachler. That's all I got. That's say. right. That's right. You know, who's got it better than us? Exactly. High school football. Coogs. Can't beat it. Mojo. Quavo gets cooking. <laughs>